Hello and welcome to another episode of From the BLN, the Burnley podcast. Um, a bit of a depleted squad uh, from our regular panel, but I'm very delighted to say that Chris Borden uh, is joining me uh, at the ship's control. No Simon, no Justin, no Woody. Um, but I think we've got a man who is probably a very adequate replacement for all three. Somebody who's got a foot in both camps ahead of tomorrow's game uh, against Sheffield United, a, a kind of must win, must not lose. Can both teams possibly lose it? I don't know. It's the way things are going this season, possibly. Um, but somebody who had a, a successful career at Burnley and Sheffield United, uh, massive pleasure to welcome Jamie Hoyland. How are we, mate? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely marvellous. Thank you. Yeah. Does that Good mean I that. get their fee as well, the, the three you were missing? Is that... You do, yeah. And it's, it's massive. It's a toffee apple, a Freddo, and a, a, and a quarter of sarsaparilla tablets, if that's that'll, all right, Jamie. That'll do for me. I'm happy with that, don't be. Beast, beast, beast is still waiting on his bottle of beer, I think. <laughs> yeah, following the illustrious footsteps, we've had Mike Phelan and, and Beastie and... Oh, and uh, George uh, George Boyd as well. But uh, we thought it'd be great to get you on. Like I say, you've got a foot in both camps. Um, the start to the season for both teams <laughs> is pretty horrific, isn't it? You know, Sheffield United had that game against Newcastle. Burnley have got this ridiculously unwanted record of, I think, being worse than Newport County and, you know, first team to lose seven home games on the trot in the top flight. Did you expect when both sides got promoted last season for them to struggle as much as they have done with adapting to the Premier League? Um, it's a funny one, really, Andrew, because I thought Sheffield United would, losing Anderberg, who obviously has come to Burnley, and Liam and I who went to Marseille, because they were the best two players and they didn't replace them. Now, I always knew that were going to be a struggle for Sheffield United, but Burnley... Um, there was a lot of where well, obviously I, I live in Burnley country, uh, and the fans were telling me we're going to finish tenth, eighth. We're going to oh, way we played it championship, and obviously I'd worked at a Premier League club for seven years. I knew what the Premier League was about, and I just said, just hold your fire a little bit here, because you know you, you, you're signing players from a market which a lot of teams don't do. Come in the Premier League, you've done it for the championship. Just let's see how it go, and as it is. I've not been proved right, but I think they're struggling to adapt to what the Premier League's about. And I said at the beginning of the season, the problem Burnley would have is trying to gel a team together when you're not winning. It's easy when you're winning. You can add, like they did last season, oh, we'll add him, we'll chuck him on for this game because you're on a run of like six or seven games on the trot. Yeah. When you're not winning to try and gel a team, and then going, right, well, we better change that one and put him, oh, we haven't won there. We'll put another one in playing on the left-hand side, a left winger who's, and a left back here, and they don't gel and another one gets took out. It has been so difficult. And I think you can see that as supporters. Um, obviously, I'm doing a lot of stuff on the radio at the moment, watching the Burnley games. You can actually see it, and it's not gelled at all. And... Obviously, there's problems up top as well with, with lack of firepower, which all the teams at the bottom struggle with that because they're the big money signings. But obviously, we're Lyle Foster out now for considerable time for whatever. Um, you know, he's going to be out. It's given Vincent Company a problem as well. You talk then surprised... about... Sorry, Chris, go on. Are you surprised Burnley made that many signings in the summer, Jamie? Do you think they... Yeah, I, I, I am, Chris. I am, because a lot of teams what come up, 
stick to that unit what I've come up with because you come up with that like Burnley have done in the past and listen we don't want to go on about the past but you come up and you've won games and you're all together and that oh we can't wait for the Premier League we're going to give it a go and yeah you sprinkle a few in there as well maybe a bit of experience to to, to realise what it is and hit the ground try and hit the ground running they didn't I think was it 13 or 14 new signings and that's a lot. All right. Matteson went back loan. Um, Odellis went back. Teller. I don't know. Did they try hard enough to get him? I know he's gone to the Bundesliga. Uh, would he have done it in the Premier League? I don't know. But he was an absolute massive favourite of the fans. And you're thinking, give the fans something here. They, they were all signed Teller, signed Teller. And they didn't. And then obviously then it becomes like we're going back to the original, hard to, hard to gel. And I was really surprised how many signings to come up into the Premier League and 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 hit the ground running. Yeah, you mentioned the, the kind of the gelling. We talked last week about that building of relationships, and it's we've seen the last three games where he's kept the starting eleven constant. You are starting to see improved performances. Mm-hmm. The results haven't improved. Um, it, it's not just the nature of that kind of gelling the new team do you think that kind of he abandoned to a certain extent that sounds like a real negative but he you know there was no Murich for for a good few you know we've not seen him in, in apart from cup games no Brownhill a player you know well with you know in that first few games we were putting square pegs in round holes with no Taylor it looked like he just kind of ripped up the blueprint for last season and all those players that had got Burnley into the Premier League were suddenly cast aside because he had shiny new toys to play with to a certain extent. You know, is yeah. there a kind of case of give them this crash course in the Premier League and it'll come good and second half of the season we'll see this massive reaction? Or, or does that affect morale when, you know, a manager suddenly decides you're no longer part of my plans, but I still need you around just in case? Yeah, I mean, I think at a place like Burnley, a place like Sheffield United, a place like Luton, it's all about a lot of it is all about morale and keeping that closeness together. And when you're leaving Charlie Taylor out, who listen, I don't know him personally at all, but we've done some digging up. He seems an, a fantastic lad, Premier League experience. Josh Brown, all know first hand, great lad, gives 100%. All right, he's not like he's not mercurial in midfield where he'll do, but he'll give you everything you need. And that's what they need. That's and I was really surprised that they got shifted aside and it was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna play, we're gonna play against everybody. This is how we're gonna do it. That's my that I hate the word philosophy, but I'm gonna stick by it. Well, you can stick by it, but it's a losing one. You've got to somehow come out the other end and go, I might have to ditch my philosophy because I want us to stay in the league and then we can develop and we can build. Because that's the main thing you've got to do. It's almost like you look at you look at I'm sure they'd always say <clears throat> I play this way because if I try and foot out football Manchester City, Arsenal, I can't because they've got your know, superior footballers. But you almost look at the way I mean Brighton obviously came up with uh, with with Chris, Chris Hewton and you know, he ended up being replaced and they've sort of developed this way of playing that's that's done well in the Premier League and continues to do well. Bournemouth to an extent before they went down under Eddie and came back. But do you th- I mean, it can 
it, it can be done, can't it? But it's it, there's ways and means, I suppose, of, of of playing your football, but having that pragmatism at the same yeah. time, I suppose. But I think we go back to it, Chris. I think those teams have, have had a foundation there, what they've built off. You know, uh, you know, like your Lewis Dunks and them sort of players who have been there, and it's a strong thing through the centre of the team, probably. Mm. And then you add to that, and and those people who have been there, done it, worn the t-shirts, are telling the others that they become your leaders and get in here, do this, this. Hey, we're 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 beating West Ham one nil with five minutes to go. Get in here, don't matter. Leave. Oh, I can't remember who were up front then. It were Jay still on then, or just let's hit it in the channels and we'll push up as a team. We'll do that together. As it is, they're open. They're still open, like popping it off and trying to play. And West Ham, as much as they were poor on the game, they still got quality, Premier League quality, where they'll pick you off. And Burnley didn't deserve to lose the game last week, but they did. And it's another lesson. And I don't think they've got those sort of players in the team who can do that. And that's the teams who you mentioned, like your Brightons, Bournemouth. I bet these players still at Bournemouth who have been there since they came up all of oh, that time, who have done it. And, and can and can see the bigger picture. And that's where I think I said on the radio last week, naivety. They're still naive. And yeah. and you know, it's still let's take a point when they were when it were one all. Listen, I, I did the commentary, you could feel it in the stand that that as if something had been pulled out at one all, and you could certainly feel it on the pitch. And then when it went to two one. We said that me and Scott Reed said after that when the final whistle blew, it actually looked as if you'd been relegated. Burnley had been relegated that match. The, the the body language of the players because it feels that way so much. And I don't. I've been there and done it with Sheffield United, and we've lost games when we've been right down where Burnley are. But you come in and go right. Hey, come on. We, we go. We, we've been. We go get and we go and do something next match. And we'd have a, we'd get into it, but I just think that the, the, they've not got that mentality of doing that at the moment. You were having yeah, your Christmas parties with... in August, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we all, I mean, that's the thing. I tell all Burnley fans, you'll be all right because at Sheffield United, we never stopped started playing until after Christmas. We were we were December. What are we now? We're coming to December first tomorrow. Mm. I think December the fourth, we played Notts Forest at home. And we were on four points and we beat them, went to seven points. You've never seen anything like it. They were pitch invasion. They carried us off on shoulders. It was like we'd won European Cup. But after Christmas, we went on a run. We signed Glenn Hodges, went on a run. And I think we won seven out of the next nine games and finished 12th. But the Premier League was a little bit different then. <laughs> um, and also we had some characters who, you know, it was come on. That's where I think it's football in general that now it's, yeah. it's a little bit different. So I can't arc back to them days and go, oh, be, you know, we did it right. We just had that mentality that we did, and we did it for three seasons like that. Yeah, I agree. In in terms of the body language, I, I think you know they were players just stood staring at the Jimmy yeah. Mack stand. It, it felt yeah, really weird, and Vitinho's kind of yeah. looked distraught, looked like somebody had you know told him he were never going to play football again and you know company came yeah. out and you're thinking to yourself 
oh, hang on a minute. This That was the thing. And I, I as soon as it went to 1-1, I sat up, bit my tongue. The two lads I was sat with, I, I, I felt that same sort of, this is it. We're getting beat here. You just knew as soon as that goal went in. And like you say, it's that mentality, isn't it? And that's yeah. that's the one thing, I guess, when you're looking at bringing players in, you know, it, it's a group mentality. You might have odd players who are kind of like, look, don't really matter. Next result, we're, you know, Josh Cullen strikes me as that, you know, don't matter. Next result, we'll get better, etc. Just in terms of the characters you played with, you know, across your time and, and things like that. Who Who's the kind of person who you would always look to as a group and, and what kind of leadership attributes did you get from that particular player or those players? To, to be honest, Andy, when, when I can I can really say about Chef United because that's where we were always in it. We were always in... And, it, they were, and I'll be honest, and I'm not just saying this, it was like 11 of us... Wow. There weren't. There was Brian Gale captain, but if I weren't doing my job, or Carl Bradshaw weren't doing his job, or Alan Kelly had let a one in, they'd get told everybody, and and it'd be free for all. And our leader was Dave Bassett, to be honest, Harry, and he'd tell you as well. And it were like, Phew. and we had the mentality: I'm actually letting my mate down here because it's a cliche thing, but we were all mates. Yeah. Believe it or not, we were, we were all mates and we all got on and I didn't want to let whoever out, John Gannon down or Cole Bradshaw or Brian Dean and vice versa. And we were all like really stuck together. So as a leader where I looked up to something, thought, oh, if he, if, if he says it, we all do it. We all did it. We had, we had a mentality of players who Harry had signed to do it. And that's, that's, that's why you played for Sheffield United. Yeah. We could, to be fair, we got a lot of. We could actually play as well. We had some players. Yeah. Glenn Hodge, great player, but also when the chips were down, wow, he'd be first in and and stuff would be going on and also, and and I just, I look at Josh, I look at Charlie Taylor, um, jo- Josh Brownhill, and Charlie Taylor, and I and I see them. They've got that little bit, but I sometimes see it and the the same things and players are just. Like what? What are you on about? Because they come from a different mentality, different leagues, where actually it's not that important. I know we're going to go on to a little bit of recruitment, but it takes a, a certain type of player to play at Turf Moor. Yeah, and and it does. Your your fans, your fans are only a player, and same at Sheffield United. Same at diff- a different type of player to play for Burnley than a different type of player to play at Bournemouth or Southampton. It, and I know that sound, or oh, it's up north, and it's, but it isn't. If you, if if it is, you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about yeah. because you're yeah. fans and you've been there and, and seen, and you're still seeing it all the time. Um, and and I think that's another thing with recruitment. You've got to get the right players. And I'm not saying oh because it's the rolling hills around it and it's cold in Burnley and Birmingham. Not at all. I'm on about the passion from the fans. You have to give them back, and then they'll feed off that. You know, it's not a light show, and they want a drummer and all like that to get them going at Turf Moor. The, the, you have to give them something, and then they're with you, and it's like unbelievable atmosphere. You see, you remember when when, when you came here, Jamie, and that I mean, was it was it? I mean, you're coming into a team that was full of leaders there with the, you know, yeah. Steve Davis, John Pender, people like that, all the way through, and. Uh, but obviously, Burnley they were in a similar position. Then weren't they? they were struggling, 
having yeah. won promotion. Yeah, yeah. So we, we were, we, was it? Yeah, were it a tough decision to make at the time to to come to Burnley? Yeah. Mm. Oh no, not at all. My time had done at Sheffield United. Done four years. Harry wanted to move me on, and it was like picking the right club to come to. Yeah. And believe mm. it or not, because we played Burnley in the FA Cup and um, the season before. And I'd seen 9,000 at Bramble Lane. And then I'd, I'd played at Turf Moor in the third thing. I, I thought, I wouldn't mind playing there. That's a, mm. that's a proper club. It had a Sheffield United feel to it that, you know, everybody from Burnley supported Burnley. And the, the, that was it. In Sheffield, you're either Wednesday or United. You weren't Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea or Arsenal. You were either United or Wednesday. Burnley, you were either Burnley. When, when I first signed, I never saw Man United shirt, Liverpool shirt, or anything like that. That was your team. And a working-class town like Sheffield's a working-class city, and the people just wanted wanted the team to epitomise that. So it was never a, never a one-way. I could have signed for quite a few clubs, but once I got the chance of coming to Burnley, it was fantastic. And listen, I've lived here 22 years, so I think that answers really what I think about the place and, and the people. As much as I still get sick and everything, they're great people. <laughs> people want to talk to you about football. Well, actually, most of the people want to talk about me dogs now, so not me football. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you went on a run. When you signed, you went on a run, didn't you? Yeah. You, had a, you know, a bit of a, oh. a six-seven game run. and then if we, had a goal scorer, if we had a goal scorer, we would have stayed up because... We played some great stuff. We we had Alan Harper, Adrian Heath, Ayrsie, Parkey. I mean, we had some great players. Chris Finnegan, Marlon in goal, Steve Day. Blooming, eh? When I think now, what a team, really. And we just couldn't score. We couldn't finish teams off. And we'd get a nil-nil or, or whatever. And we just went, there was one point. We may as well lost one of them and, and got the three. And we would yeah. have a right chance to stay up. But we didn't. And then we signed Kurt. Uh, in the January, but that's that's an, that's another story. But there you go. We could be on that one. All <laughs> but part of that one part of that rub was the Sheffield United game. Well, it was on TV, yeah. and uh, yeah. Big Gailey was Big Gailey. <laughs> well, I'd signed. And, and... Yeah, I'd signed. Some we played Sunderland away. My first game, yeah. nil nil. Steve mm. Davis was uh, suspended, so I, I come in for Canny. Then we had, I think, Notts County at home, and then the following week we had Sheffield United live on Granada mm. the game. Um, which were like, and they let me play because I was on loan. Yeah, um, mm. and obviously we won four two. I scored, and it was just fantastic. We, we were, we were good. Right, yeah, oh God, yeah, big John Gale. You know, that was sacrilege, really, that we went down that season with, with a team we had. It was, and never really recovered for years after that. The club went on a bit of a slump after that, which were unfortunate, really. Yeah. So it was just, it was just strange with the players that you had available, weren't it? it was yeah. just, I've just, just honestly, Chris, I haven't even thought about that and I've just gone through yeah. then and you're thinking, wow, you know, they're good. I mean, you think about that team now and, and out some of the technical players then who could play. Oh, dear me. You know, Ayersy, wow. But there you go. He still looks like he could play now, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. He plays it with his stats 90 minutes. <laughs> Doing the same thing, yeah. Yeah, great lad as well. Absolute diamond of a lad, David is. And in terms of, you mentioned the kind of passion. I'm not suggesting that some of the players or any of the players that have come in don't have that passion, but it, it, 
it feels like I don't know, you know, you Harwood Bellis last year was just blood and thunder. You know, even Ian Matson for a lone player, you know, for all of these were lone players, weren't they? Nathan yeah. Teller, there's just that last season, you know, is part of the problem that there wasn't enough peril last season. So that actually we didn't really learn anything. We breezed no. that league too yeah. easily. Chef United away was the only real yeah. point. Um we, you know, we followed that by beating Rovers, then going into the international break. Right. Is, is there a, a, a kind of a, a worry that because we didn't have any jeopardy really last season, we were promoted pretty much in January, that this season we're, we're having to kind of try and face adversity and, and work a way through it in the hardest league in the world? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right because um, I think one thing what, what you need, a team who's come up, um, and it doesn't matter how you've come up, like Bur- Burnley did, but like you said, Burnley come up playing this unbelievable football, blew everybody away. So I think they, they didn't have this me- mentality and what I'm going to say as a siege mentality. When you play at Turf Moor, Bramall Lane, Kenilworth Road, you have to have a siege mentality because that's where you're going to probably win your points. And you have that. And I think when Sheffield United beat Wolves the other week, uh, Aldi Norwood scored penalty in the last minute. They reckon roof nearly come off the cop. You know, the crowd were baying. But then this week, against Bournemouth, that, that went, I don't know why, that's gone out at window. And they could have lost 8-1 and they, they didn't, tr- not, didn't try a leg. That's the wrong thing to say. But it just wasn't there, that passion and performance. And, and I think that's what Burnley have come up and thinking we're all right, we can go toe-to-toe. We don't have to have that siege thing where people don't like coming here. I mean, coming to Turf Moor, still coming out there and a night match or, a, you know, a, a, as now it's getting darker and it's gold. Poof, here you go. You could you could get a point in tunnel. And I think they go out now, they do their handshake and it's all, oh, this is fantastic Premier League. And then another defeat. And I think that's another thing they've got to get out. Listen, the manager has been an unbelievable player. Unbelievable what he did at Man City. But he's never had to have that at Man City, really, has he? You know, it's like Man City are brilliant. Whatever, whoever they play, they were going to be. Win league, all right, they didn't win Champions League with him. FA Cup, probably Carabao or whatever they call it. And he's, they've always, he's always been top dog. Never had to fight, really. Um, and it's a mentality for him as well, probably, that I can't be the... The underdog. No, no, I've always been top dog. Sometimes it's better when you're at a place like like Sheffield United, Burnley, where, to be that underdog, to that one who people write you off and say, no, these are going down. And then you've got that proving people are wrong. Rather and than Luton. Think... Sorry, go on. Luton have kind of started. I mean, the thing about yeah. Luton is there's an aggression <clears throat> to Luton, which I mean, since Sheffield United a couple of times and Somebody else mentioned Sheffield United could have been beating 8-1, a friend of mine who's a blade. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to watch this because I can't believe that. You know, But you've said the exact same scoreline. Yeah. And there's that lack of aggression, whereas Sund- um, Luton, sorry, they've just got that aggression that perhaps because they didn't have it all their own way last season, you know, they've got that, got a great manager, I think, of Luton. I think all three teams have got great managers. But yeah. it, it's... Burnley this year just feel very passive. You know what I mean? Even when we were 2-1 down with four minutes of injury time left, it was still tap, tap, tap to the side, oh. go back down the other side. 
there's nothing more frustrating for us as fans. You no. as a footballer who will know about that urgency, just get a bloody point. Yeah. That well, drive I, you was, mad. I was doing the commentary last week and it's obviously they've scored. There's still four minutes to go. And then it gets to last minute, Burnley get a goal kick and, and James Trafford's kicked it square. Got it back, played it there, got it back. I'm going Barmy to Scott Reid. And I, I'm just pissed. I, I'm just like thinking myself as a player out on pitch. As a, I'm, I'd be screaming, just get it forward. Don't matter. Forget about what you look like. And because I think that's another thing as well. Look at us. This is how we play. We score the perfect. No, no, just get it forward. There might be a flick on, might be a knockdown. You might go and draw to all. Don't matter how you score it, but it's like, no, no, we have to build from the back. No, you don't. I'm loot. And I think I've got that little bit now where not bothered what people think. Yeah. We we launch it in here, not people on the backsides, and we get a few free kicks against us, or we get a few whatever. They're happy, don't matter. That's another three points for us, and we start moving up that table. We're not bothered about how people see us. We're Luton Town. That's our identity, our identity, and our objective is to stay in the Premier League this season. Is is that that City thing though, Jamie? I mean, City don't panic, do they? They play. If this, you know, we've got so many minutes of injury time, we continue to play. It never goes long. But, but, you know. No, no, but they have got the best players in the world. Oh, they indeed. But yeah, it's that, that mentality. I went last night to watch Blackburn and um, who did they play? Brighton, uh, Birmingham. Birmingham. And yeah. they're, they're all they're all at it, all playing yeah. out from back. Mm. I was sat with some scout. I went. I went just to watch the game. I'm not scouting for anybody. And I said to some at Scout, in fact, one of them was a local manager from around, and I went, why does everybody think they're Man City? Mm. And the amount of times last night, it, they nearly got nicked, the ball, the goalkeeper, last man, taking a chance, and you're thinking, how stupid is that? You could, And then eventually it comes to him and he knocks it long, and you're thinking, well, why didn't you do that first place? Because it's like, let's do this. And, and I, I know what you mean about Vincent Company and, and, and Man City, and that's what they do, but you know, no disrespect, Josh Cullen's not Kevin De Bruyne. You know, Jay Rodriguez is not Erland Arland, is he? You know, um, Kyle Walker, you know, whoever's playing right back, Vettinho or, or Connor Roberts in Kyle Walker where they'll leave you 1v1. And also, they, do they dominate possession, so they do wear you down. You know, running after, t like last season, Burnley did it, because if you have that football and you're moving it, you'll know, lads, if you're playing five-a-side or playing at park or playing professionally, if you're chasing a ball all the time, you get tired. And that's what's happened this year. They've not been in possession of the ball enough. And and so they haven't been able to keep playing. So they've got to find another way. I think that's what I'm trying to say. They've got to be a plan B or a plan C or a plan D sometimes to, to go against teams. I think a little bit's coming more in where they look a little bit more disciplined when they haven't got the ball and a little bit more compact as a team rather than open, which they were certainly against, like your Tottenham's, your Villas, that sort of thing where, God, Tottenham, it could have been 10 if they carried on where they were going. Last week, they were a bit more a bit more compact and, and thought, right, we'll just try and stick in here for a little bit. So that might come a little bit more, but you're still seeing how they, how they want to play all the time, which teams in the Premier League will set up against them and think, right, we'll go and, we'll go and win this, we'll set your traps. 
does it dismay you that mate? But from when you played, and it there've been so many different brands of football. You'd have had your Wimbledon's and the way Liverpool played, and United were different. And it's you know whether it's counter attack or possession or more direct. Or it, it like I say, it's just almost been shoehorned into this one brand at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It is. And and listen, when I when I first got into the Premier League, Liverpool were the team. You know, unbelievable team. You know, I think Alan Anson was still playing then. Uh, John Barnes, Ian Rush, Jan Mulby, Steve McMahon, uh, Steve Nichol. They were they were an unbelievable team. But by the way, they, you know all this about possession stuff. They did it. It's just that then you could pass it back to the goalkeeper. They pick it up. But they but they still kept the ball. They didn't just force it. Other teams played it a bit longer, and so. All these brands of football, what they're trying to do, or pressing from the front. Liverpool were best at it then. And then Man United took over playing 4-4-2, where they just pressed. It's like people have invented football and give it new little names in the pocket, playing between the lines, you know, transition. Recycle's the best. I've got a recycle, you know, wearing me uh, in the kitchen. That's what I do. I mean, bottles here. And it's like, no, no, you pick the second balls up. That's what you mean. And when it comes out... First contact. First contact. That's that's get tight, I think. First contact. Make a tackle. But uh, listen, I I think... And and the sad thing is, anybody who doesn't play that way, where the keeper does it, gets called a dinosaur. Oh, no, we can't do that. How are we going to develop players in our... uh, Academy. These are second division teams. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, just concentrate on staying in the league. But, but listen, it's big business now, so it all gets labelled and everybody wants a little chunk of it, don't they? And look how brilliant I am. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned academies. You you've you know since since finishing as a player, you've you've been an academy coach. You you've been a scout. Um, we were talking before we we started recording of some of the successes. Bailey Wright, of course, played in a World Cup for Australia. You that you know the story goes. You know you offered him a contract after one training session. Um, yeah. Brownhill, Josh Brownhill, we mentioned. And then from a scouting point of view, probably for me, one of my kind of favourite defenders in the Premier League, Jared Branthwaite, who I just think is destined to be that kind of, you know, next yeah. big England defender. Um, I, I just love love him. I, I love the fact that he went out to Holland and played mm-hmm. in a top league out there and then came back to Everton. Um, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well, who, you know, Everton looked, you know, infinitely better once yeah. when Dominic's in the side. What, how do you develop that eye for that kind of talent? I mean, it's 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 someone like Jared who was at Carlisle, yeah. I think, weren't he? Yeah, How well, do you, you know, know that he's going to make it? You don't. <laughs> you, you can only... Like, Jared, I went to see. We got a tip off when he was 17, and I went to see him play against Port Vale, playing for Carlisle's first team. And um, it was hilarious, actually, because he was playing against Tom Pope, who was, a, who was an old rugged, old centre-half, kick-his-own-grandmother type and everything. And Jared was playing against him, only about his third or fourth game. There were scouts sat in front of me with a young lad at side of him, another young scout. And I'm watching this game because I'm going to watch Jared. And Jared was superb. He was Not superb in that, oh, look at him bringing the ball down. He competed with Tom Pope, which was the like main thing. He was robust with him. He got knocked down a few times, passed the ball. The bloke sat in front of me is going, oh, just look at this kid. They've all come to watch him. He's out of position there. He's doing this. And I'm just thinking, 
wow, you you do not know what you're seeing here. And just because I played, it don't mean I know what I'm saying. Anyhow, Jared's had this game, and I were, it's one of those things when you scout and recruit. If when you see it, you become excited about it. And I went back on Monday morning, went into Finch Farm, and I went into our recruitment department, and some of the analysts were there, young analysts. And I went, this kid, got to sign him. And he went, no, no, we've watched the clips. He's 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 not he's not he's all right. And he mentioned he compared him with another young lad we'd signed a few years ago. He's going to be another one of them. I said, is he? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, not a chance. I said, do you realise we played against on Saturday? Yeah, Port Vale. I went, no, the player. And they went, well, what? I said, well, the player's been around the block, can do this. This kid is 17, I said, don't forget, playing at Carlisle, 17-year-old, said, we need to sign him. And to be fair, the, the fine um, director of football, Marcel Brands, really liked him and got it over the line. But if 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 the others had had the way, we want to, they want to sign Jared Branthwaite. Now, signing him, playing against Port Vale, and we watched him a little bit more, don't mean he's going to play for Everton in their first team. He's got loads and loads of potential. And he he then went, he, he, he came into the club. He was a, a really shy lad from Carlisle. If you think about it, Carlisle United, and then you come to Everton, which is like, oh my gosh, you know, wow, this is like, and he came in and it, it took him a bit of time to settle. And Carlo Ancelotti, believe it or not, uh, they were short uh, when he'd come in one day um, for a bit of extra training to play in a match, a, a, a practice match. And Carlo went, oh, play, play this lad. And he played and he went, right, he trains with me now every day. And Carlo said, I really like this player. And, all Jared needed then was some loans to get him to get him going to realise what football was about at a higher level. He went to Blackburn, started off really well, then dipped away there. And you're thinking, oh, right, he needs another one after that and went to PSV. And everybody went, oh, he shouldn't go there. Holland is not going to be tested. But he played Champions League and he played like against Feyenoord, against Ajax in games which are like, wow. And I went, I... I scouted Holland Belgium so I went out and watched him and he just grew into a man like out there he was unbelievable they loved him the PSV fans and he was like a Rolls Royce now to come back because he played a few times at Everton got sent off against Brentford and like you know another little knock to him but he's come back stronger and then you see him this season and you just think it makes your job well I'm not there anymore but it makes your job so worthwhile when you see a lad who has got, uh, he's come from like a really shy lad, Carlisle lad, no arrogance about him to grow up into a man, to be a footballer and, and playing Premier League and play really well. And you think, yeah, yeah, I were, I were right with him then, that's all right, sort of thing. Yeah, And it is a little bit of gut feeling. It's certainly gut feeling, but you can't, you can never say, oh, they're going to do it because one, if you think about how much money he would have been on at Carlisle, he didn't come on much more at Everton, by the way. When he would, when he he didn't, uh, so he didn't come on like forty grand a week. He come very, very low, and I mean very low. He's now worked his way up like Dom Lewin has on the money, I think. But he's he wanted it, so he's 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 not the money's not the thing. He's wanted to move up and move up, and it has to come from the player then. And you hope they've got the mental strength rather than 
you know, I want the car, I want the watch, I want the whatever nice house, apartment, I want the beautiful girlfriend. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a footballer as well. Forgot about that. And that's a massive. No, <laughs> but it is. It's a massive thing. And and if they if you're looking at mentality as well as ability when you're looking at the players and what, how you think they'll do, and and you try and think right as get the potential every ounce of potential you've got it might not be premier league it might be a championship might be first division but give it the best you've got and i'm so delighted for jared that he has done and so none, none of that's in your computer metrics either is it the desire heart sort of no and and you know something i watched pep guardiola last year and i'm not a dinosaur with me scouting i i think it's a massive thing the data because it can give you it can guide mm. you and I, and i like that and they asked Pep before they played Brighton last year and they said, oh, Brighton, you know, how they do the scouting. Uh, you know, it's a fantastic... And Pep went, yeah, brilliant. That's that's their way. And Pep just pointed to his eyes and went, but I want to see them. Yeah. I need to see the player. I need to see what's happening with him on the pitch when things aren't that. And it's true. It's true. You, you, like, when you go and watch a game as a fan, you watch the game, oh, and you get involved with it. When I'm watching it, as I, well, I watch it now as fans, anyhow, so I'm not scouting at the moment. I try and pick up, like, if things are going wrong and what body language is he giving and, you know, things are things are great. Does he go and showboat? Does he do this? Does he do that? Is he working? Does he help his teammates? All those little things, only little things, add up to a, a list of, you know, we don't have a tick list. I've never had a tick list ever, but things what in your mind, what you think they're going to be good players and, and can get better at. Because you can always get better technically and work on that and tactically, but have you got the mental attitude? Because sometimes you can't you can't do that. You can't um, change that. And if you can't change it, then it can be a problem when they come in because they can be it can be a nightmare then. So you have to be careful what you're bringing in and do your due diligence really. Just I'm interested to get your take on James Trafford, somebody else who's from Cumbria. You know, there must be something in the water up there. Yeah. Just just looking at his body language, he doesn't seem to be a player who's conceded a hell of a lot of goals this season, who you, you kind of worry that he's, at the end of games, his body language is showing that he don't want to be there. Is there something in his body language that perhaps you've seen that suggests, you know what, actually this adversity he's going through now, he's going to use that as positive energy for the rest of his career and that, you know, Burnley will see the benefit of of that because a lot of people have been saying, get the lad out the firing line. He's only a young lad, never played above League One, obviously had the heroics in the summer with the England uh, under-21s. Do you, because that's that's kind of our views as fans, is kind of like, we're conceding a lot, change the keeper. Do you as an ex-player who's been in, you know, areas of adversity and things look at him and kind of think you know what actually he might just be all right he might come out the other end much stronger personality much stronger goalkeeper much better goalkeeper because there's clearly some talent there because peppers in you know put a buyback clause at you know three or four times what we paid for him which was a huge fee yeah i mean i must admit uh, uh he is getting a lot of stick, and every Burnley fan I say I speak to says, "Oh, we should need to get Murray back in. We need to do this." Obviously, because they're losing. But you look at his body language, and there is not an ounce of doubt within. You know, he's still taking his time on the ball and trying to do this and that, and 
There's no panic about knocking it forward. Will it be good for him long term? Yeah, it will be. Will it be good for team long term, uh, short term? That's for Vincent Company to sort out because he's signing for 19 million. Now, that's a lot of money for a, what is he, 21, 20 year old goalkeeper? That is a lot of money. Who has played in League One? He's not played for Man City. He's not, he's not a Man City goalkeeper. He's played for Bolton Wanderers. Um, and that's a big step to come into the Premier League. But as Vincent Company's been and and how he wants to be and how he sets his stuff out, he weren't happy with Murich, so he wanted to bring somebody else in. Now, he's going to have to. I think he's going to have to stick with him because he's paid a lot of money and he, and he believes in him. And I think if he took him out and went, right, well, we're, we're going to leave you out now, I think that might affect James Trafford more than not playing and getting through it. Um, I mean, the, the, obviously, Burnley, when I thought they'd go down a few years ago when they lost to Villa on New Year's Day and they were shocking. Uh, and Sean Dyche changed Tommy and he put him back in, didn't he? Uh, and left Joe Hart out and, and it just went like that. And I think some Burnley fans are probably thinking, oh, that's what'll happen. But I think there's a lot more in front of James Trafford what probably needs sorting out before the goalkeeper. Because you can't say, oh, the defenders are, are looking round going, we don't trust him, because I don't think there's that much I don't think there's that inner trust yet of all the team anyhow. So it's, you can't pin it on him as a young lad to say, Oh yeah, I think he's I think that's the problem. I think there's there's other things going on at the moment. Now he might he might just make that decision. Uh, Vincent Company, if he thinks it is, if it goes on and on and on, to pull him out of there. But I think at the moment, I think he is is going to be resolute and stick with him. You see, even if you look at the Sheffield game at Bramall Lane last year, with Murich in goal and yeah. Sheffield hung it, hung, hung it under his crossbar all afternoon, and it was yeah. mayhem, wasn't yeah. it? Absolute mayhem. It's a, it's I mean. A, I mean, people go on about keep like they're saying, "Oh, he don't, he's not commanding. He don't do this. He don't do that." There's not that many in Premier League who are now, because there's not that many people like they put crosses in, and when they do, they're all having a little flap. I mean, obviously uh, Edison and Allison will come and do it, and and whatever. But you know, there's a few few at top ones who you put the ball in the box, and they're like, "Whoa, all over the place," and you know, but they don't have to do it that much. But because Burnley are down there, you have a lot to do. Now, Nick Pope was a different animal because he'd come from lower. So it was like, I'll get there wasn't that expectation. And it suited him. I, I, he didn't mind coming for crosses. What is he, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, Nick Pope, made the saves. Probably can get better technically with his feet, which he will do. So he was a different kettle of fish because there wasn't that pressure on him. And he... he and he came in and probably the fans gave him a little bit more than, than they are doing because you sign somebody for 19 million now at Burnley and you expect the finished article. Well, you should. Well, yeah, you do at Burnley. And that's the thing, isn't it? You can't say, oh, well, he'll develop. You can't develop on 19 million. It's got to be right. Get in there and keep 10 clean sheets in the next 11 games. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking ahead to, to Saturday's game. I mean, it, we, we joked about it being a kind of must not lose, must win, you know, could both teams lose. What 
do you think there'll be a caginess there at Turf Moor on Saturday, or do you think, you know, essentially it's it's you know it's a championship fixture. It's two teams who know each other well from last season. You know, do you think there's perhaps a bit of freedom from both sides going into that game, or do you think the pressure is ramping so far up that we could be in for a bit of a you know bit of a none too pleasing on the eye spectacle? Yeah, uh, no, no. I think it'll be all right. I think it'll be a decent game. I think, um, I think the the pressure will probably be on Burnley a little bit to win it because I think they'll be expected to win it. Um, like, like I said, Sheffield United's form last week against Bournemouth was shocking, and Burnley actually should have got something out of the game. And I'm sure they'll be expecting the coaching staff and probably the players thinking this is our chance. This is our chance to get three points. Got Sheffield United coming, who were who were wob- wobbling a little bit. Uh, I know they I know they beat Wolves and got a point at Brighton, but then lose to Bournemouth like they did when really they should have been moving on. Um, I I just think Burnley will be the ones who are probably expected to win it, and I think if they can play decent, you know, and and be be quite disciplined. I think they've got they've got a good chance of, of winning the game because I think that there's a lot of pressure on Sheffield United from the fans now and the t- from gap from what I can gather with the fans the the there's turning a little bit on Paul Eckingbottom now and saying you you know you're not you haven't got a plan B you you know tactically you don't know what you're doing like last week you, you didn't do that and I think if Burnley get on top of the game there'll be a lot of grumbling from the cricket field stand. So there've been six managers sacked by this stage last season in the Premier yeah. League, and we yeah. haven't had one yet. Yeah. I wouldn't believe it. I heard that, Chris. I heard that fact um, on the radio, and I was shocked with that. Yeah, that there'd been six and not one up to now, um, and and yet we had the World Cup, didn't we? As well, we had a break. So yeah, mm. so, Every, yeah maybe people saw that as a reset, didn't they? You can yeah, maybe yeah, yeah but. Uh, it's yes, uh, no, you don't want to, you don't want anyone to be uh, to be losing no. the jobs, but they, neither seem to be under much sort of hammer, really, yeah. do they? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, ev- everything now into everything's analysed and um, talked about, and XG, the XG's got to be better. No, <laughs> putting the ball in the back of the net, not expected goals, <laughs> just score. You know, if your XG is minus ten in a game, but you win one nil because somehow you've scored one, it don't matter, does it, to the fans? Um, but all all that and, sort of stuff, yeah. to stuff. Go on, Chris. Yeah, and, and saying, I mean, in that sense, are they missing Billy Sharp? You know, someone like like Burnley, uh, like, like Barnes. Barnes, who went to Norwich. Billy Sharp's gone to to Los Angeles. I mean, probably Billy Sharp, the missing more in the dressing room again, being yeah. there and doing that. I don't think he would have made much difference on the pitch because he was, I mean, 37 coming to end yeah. of his, you know, he, he played a little bit under Chris in Premier League and not not really done that well as such. But just his presence around the place. And I think like, a lot of Burnley fans have said Ashley Barnes. Um, and just, not that he's going to start every match, but you, mm. you've certainly got a plan B when Ashley Barnes comes on. And... Also, you've got somebody with physicality that it goes up there and you can push your midfield in to get around second ball because you know nobody's going to have a clean header or put the ball in the box and you know somebody's going to fling themselves at it. So you can do that as well. And I think that's what they've, they've certainly missed that. Certainly missed that. 
Yeah. Burnley midfielder recycling the ball, Jamie, not second ball, don't forget. We've got to use the, <laughs> the common modern parlance on that. But uh, sorry. sorry, Andy, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. I mean you played for Sheffield United, you know, we we've we've spoken a little bit about that, but um your dad, of course, we, we can't really let you go without chatting about your dad. I know you lost him you lost your dad recently, um in October, but you know he was a you know famous player for Sheffield United as well. I mean, that must have been a real moment of pride from you because you kind of went not around the houses to get Sheffield United, but you didn't start at Sheffield United like your dad did. You'd been at City and etc. But oh, no, um, well, I mean, I mean, my dad was working in steel mills when he was first playing for Sheffield United first team back in wow. back in the like uh, early fifties. But I didn't sign for Sheffield United as a kid. I could have done from school because I were always going to be um, compared with my dad. So we had actually a family get-together, me, my eldest brother and my dad, when I was about 15 and said, right, who are you going to sign for? Uh, because you can't go there because it's going to be mayhem. My dad at the time had a pub quarter of a mile from the ground as well. So all the fans had come in there. So at the time I went to Man City, which was the best thing ever. It was unbelievable. Like going to Disneyland, it was a brilliant club. Not like it is now. It was it was like unbelievable. Like so, I'd, I'd left home at sixteen. Eventually came back. Like you say, I went like Man City, Berry, and then came back when I was twenty-four and still bloody compared about my dad. So my nickname was Tommy. Uh, every pen pick in the program was son of Tommy. So I were, I were always done that, but. Then I then I'd play, I were I were a professional footballer then so I I knew knew the game and it were, it were a fantastic honour to play uh, our, our number four as much as I could for Sheffield United because that's where my dad's number and um, I mean they, they were brilliant when when my dad passed away in early October um, the the they got in touch and said like we, we'd like to honour your dad because at the time he was ninety one and I think he was the oldest living Sheffield United player. Wow. And they said we'd like to do a bit when they play Man United on the Saturday night game. So I took my son and my son-in-law, who were both Man United fans, by the way. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how that's happened. And um, they did a fantastic. Uh, but the the thing is, and I know this might sound a bit blase, but we we I'd even said it in my dad's uh, eulogy at the funeral that day they were going to do it. Bobby Charlton died. So I thought my dad's going to get top trumped here by Bobby Charlton at the match. But uh, as it was, the Man United fans are brilliant and they did this fantastic obituary for my dad 10 minutes before the game and then asked uh, on four minutes, would you give a round of applause when his picture came up? And um, uh, listen, it was the most, oh, it was just so emotional on four minutes that like all the Chef United fans stood up and clapped my dad's picture in the thing and, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was, well, not brilliant, my dad's dad, but it was just fantastic to be honoured like that and be part of a, a family that I was lucky enough to play as well at Sheffield United. So, um, <clears throat> I am a Sheffield United fan. I, 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 of course I am. And, and, but I've lived over here 20 or 22 years now and Burnley's in my heart as well. So it's going to be bloody hard commentating on Saturday doing it for the <laughs> <laughs> when Andy Bay said, "Oh, you've got match," but don't worry, I, w- I will be neutral. I won't be. Uh, I'll be. I'll be fair. <laughs> I'm looking. Who are you along- I'm really. Who are you alongside on Saturday? You Scott, <laughs> Scott Reed. Scott Reed. Yeah. Scott, yeah. Well, Scott, yeah. I mean, you've you've got him to kind of uh, 
yeah, yeah. in check, so to speak. Oh, no, no, it's, it's, it, 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 it is like that. I mean, obviously, I've, I've only seen him a few times over years, really, Chef United, through my scouting, and, and I do like love it, greasy cheap butty song and all like that. But um, <laughs> I'm working professionally on Saturday, so it'll be... And I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to the game, actually. Stuff. Aside from your, your Radio Lancashire stuff, what, what else is next for you? Because you left Everton in the summer after seven years and yeah. you know we talked about success there and worked under some incredible managers during that, that period. Yeah. What what's next for you? Is is that was that a conscious decision to kind of yeah. look what else is out there to step back? Yeah. Spend a bit more time yeah, with it was a, family, dogs, it you, was your a granddaughter. <laughs> it was a little bit. Um seven years um and being near relegation for two years takes a lot out of you. Um, and I just thought I I, I need a change really I I was I love me I love my job what I do but I I weren't enjoying it I I wasn't I wasn't enjoying it as much as I should have done Um, I packed in playing because of that uh, because I love I love playing but I knew I I, I would fall I would get in a a bit upset about stuff and I were there and I thought right it's time to come out and as it was it worked in a great way for me because it gave me more time to be with my dad. I've, I've seen my dad going off to Sheffield quite a lot every week to see him. Uh, but now I'm ready and, and I want to get back as soon as I can. I'll, I'll back to scouting. I love recruitment. Um, I've got a few irons in the fire, which hopefully in the next month will come to fruition. Um, if not, I don't know what. <laughs> um, but I'd, 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 that's what I want to do. Um, I think I've still got loads to give, even though... I'm at an age now. I'm still. I still feel 25. I feel passionate about football. I love football. It's been my life, and I and I still want to be involved in it. I'm not. If if I'm still working in football, I'll never retire because it's not. <laughs> it's not a job. And I always said to people, I've never really worked a day in my life yeah. because it's been my passion. You know, like talking to you guys, and I did one. A, a bloke's writing a book about Sheffield United. I've been doing some interviews for him this week, and just talking about it, I could talk all day. Drives my wife balmy because when we're out <laughs> anywhere, I'm in one stall or whatever. There's always somebody who wants to talk, and I'm oh yeah, yeah, sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's been good. I've, I've loved, I've loved my life in football, and I just want to carry on with it. Definitely. Well, we wish you all the very yeah. best and uh, always look forward to your Saturday morning uh, dog pictures on the uh, the moors, whatever the weather. I guess you don't get any back chat from the dogs either. But uh, listen, thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate it. And, and you know, let's get you, you know, uh, obviously commitments pending and whatever. Let's get you on again later in the season when hopefully both yeah, yeah. teams will be just away from that relegation zone. But uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's the end of this episode. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media at BO Podcast on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days and also on Facebook. Uh, We'll be back on Monday uh, with an episode of the debrief uh, after Saturday's game. Um, I'm not even going to tempt fate by saying what I think it's going to be, but um, we'll be back anyway. Thank you very much for listening uh, and up the clarets.